0: Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at
1: www.indigopodcast.com. Hey, everyone. So before we get started with today's episode, we just want to say,
0: hey, thanks for listening. Absolutely. You know, this podcast has been very successful. We just launched about two months ago, but we've gotten thousands of downloads. We have a diverse audience from around the United States and the world. And we've gotten lots of great feedback from people already. And it's just so encouraging to find that people have an interest in this idea of human flourishing and that the ideas that we're sharing here are resonating with folks. And, uh, you know, it's important for us to, to hear from folks. We really want to hear from more of you. Uh, we want to hear your ideas, your questions, your feedback, whatever you want to tell us or share with us. And you can do that easily by going to indigotogether.com slash contact. Again, that's indigotogether.com slash contact. Uh, you know, we, we really want your help and we need your help in spreading the word about what you're do, what we're doing. Uh, we really consider all of you to be part of this indigo together community. And I think with all of you and with this podcast and the other types of things that we're doing here, you know, I I really think and we we truly believe that we can make the world a better place through better leaders and better organizations. So just a quick plea to uh, all of you to, you know, engage with what we're doing, share what we're doing um, and reach out to us.
1: Yeah. And for those shy people out there that think, you know, wait a minute, other people reach in, other people might have more interesting things to say. We say hogwash. We want to hear hogwash. from you. Yeah. So if 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 you're an HR leader or manager out there or an individual navigating the corporate shenanigans, um, reach <laughs> out. If something was helpful that we shared with you through one of our episodes, we really do like to get um feedback from you. It's one of the highlights of our days. So we read everything that come in comes in and um yeah, we look forward to hearing from more of you. It's been really great. So, so Ben, today's topic, which is part two of why people quit and how to keep them. Um, what did we talk about last time, and what are we going to talk about today?
0: Yeah, so last time we talked about turnover and retention. We talked about what the research really t- tells us about all of this. And we talked about retention management, uh, highlighting some evidence-based guidelines for people and organizations to keep the best people uh, in their organizations and keep them from, you know, voluntary turnover. You know, that's when those good people leave the organization. Uh, And uh, moving on to today, what we're going to talk about are really two topics. One is what we call the unfolding model of turnover, which is all about helping people, helping us understand uh, the decision to leave an organization, what's going on psychologically with folks when they're making that decision. And then we're going to talk about this idea of organizational commitment and withdrawal from the organization. Yeah. So let's just hop right into it, Ben.
1: Unfolding model of turnover. This is such an important one uh, to know about if you're not aware already.
0: It is. It's something that I think uh, can help leaders and managers everywhere because if we can understand the thought process, the psychological process that people tend to go through when they're thinking about leaving, then that can help us as leaders, as managers, to intervene in those situations and potentially help to keep some of the best people in our organizations. That's the idea here. So this unfolding model of turnover kind of goes back uh, for a number of years, but it kind of goes, you know, it really started with this, this idea that the decision to leave an organization, historically and kind of intuitively, you know, if I asked a bunch of people why do people leave organizations, a lot of times people think and historically we thought that it was linked very closely with satisfaction. That if someone was dissatisfied or unsatisfied with their job, that they would leave. And,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, myth. You know,
1: myth, right?
0: That that is a myth. It's not a direct connection between satisfaction and. Turnover, uh, you know. And one way you can think about this is, you know, let's imagine that you have an organization with very, very low turnover. Uh, you know, people just are not quitting from that organization. Uh, can you automatically infer that the people are happy there, Chris? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Especially if
1: you're the only factory in town. Yep, and people aren't leaving. Don't pat yourself on the back for being an excellent organization.
0: number one employer right (laughs) absolutely that's right on a field of Um, one we're the best (laughs) exactly and conversely if an organization has very high turnover you have lots of people leaving on a regular basis can you automatically infer that people are unhappy in that organization what do you think chris absolutely
1: not and and you right. know we see this all the time when we come into organizations as consultants they're like well look at our turnover as if that's some kind of pure litmus it's mm-hmm. something you definitely want to track but it can't
0: be a factor in isolation right there are many different variables that come into the decision to leave an organization and that's uh, what this unfolding model of turnover is all about because this connection between satisfaction and turnover is actually indirect and this really stems from some great research that has been going on for a number of decades really um, and a lot the, probably the primary researcher in this area or one of the one of the top researchers kind of the, one of the f- fathers of this area of Organizational science is a professor named Thomas Lee out of the University of Washington, and, and you know he kind of started with this whole idea of why do people leave organizations, and has lots of research on this topic. And what it uh, has has really revealed is that there are five different um, paths or thought processes that can um, influence a person to leave, that a person goes through when they're thinking about quitting an organization. Uh, So before we kind of talk about those five different uh, ways in which a person can think about leaving and actually leave, it's important to kind of get some definitions here because there's some interesting concepts that can help us understand these paths. And the first one is what we call a shock, right? So this is kind of a trigger that that a person can have um, that can make them start thinking a little bit differently about their experience in the organization um it can be something positive it can be something that's kind of neutral or it can be something negative just something that you you know happens to them either at work or at home you know so uh you know if you think back to any times that you quit an organization chris uh can you think of any shocks that you had
1: well i mean it was nothing like regularly flying a severed horse head at my desk (laughs) or something (laughs) right (laughs) Right. But um, yeah, there had been some shocks. I'd left some organizations that were um, pursuing ethically dubious methods for mm-hmm. securing new financing customers. OK, um, yeah. one organization was um, so this legally you had to read a script on, hey, we're setting you up for a credit card. And mm-hmm. one of the methods they wanted to say is like, hey, we're just going to send this out and bill you for it. Um, then you would read the legal script for, um, the financing option afterwards and just say, yeah, if you don't pay this right away, um, it's on credit. Um, and they ended up getting sued for it, but you know, I, I, it was a shock to me that led me to leave because I, it just wasn't an ethical way, um, to
0: deal with customers. Right. So that was, that's a negative shock for you. Uh, There can be many other types of shocks. So for example, you may have an unsolicited job offer, you know, you're not looking for a job, you're relatively or at least you think you're relatively uh, satisfied in your work and so forth. But out of the blue, uh, you get a a headhunter calling you, you get someone reaches out to you on LinkedIn and says, Hey, have you ever thought about working at this, you know, this type of organization, etc. So you get that unsolicited job offer. You Maybe you have a, a change in your marital status. You know, you get married, you get divorced, something happens, and that can start to make you think differently about your life and your career. Maybe your firm goes through a merger. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen this happen many times with a number of friends of, of mine where the organization is acquired or merges with another, and, uh, you know, that can certainly change things in the organization. Another one can be just a friend leaving the organization. You know, this is when we talk about this actually in part one of this, this topic, um, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to that one, I recommend that people go back and, and listen to it. But, uh, you know, if you have somebody who you see as a friend, as a mentor, um, a coworker, just someone that you kind of like or respect, and they quit, that can be a shock. Yeah,
1: And, you know, some of the change, you get a new boss, you know, your manager takes a promotion, goes to another part of the organization
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: maybe you get a junior, junior yo-yo in there, you are like, "Eh, I don't, (laughs) I don't know if this is going to work or, um, Oh, one of the things is, you know, when I deployed to Afghanistan, you know, I was like, wait a minute, what if I don't care about this whole swath of my life? You know, why am I doing these things? Mm-hmm. And you just start to reevaluate, right? Um, so the shock doesn't have to be, you know, the severed horse head at your desk every day. Um, the shock <laughs> can be, you know, benign. It's enough to kind of blast your mind mm-hmm. into that thought
0: thought realm. Um, something disturbing in your environment, right? Right, right. And it could be something, again, positive, neutral, or negative. Uh, and then, so that's a shock. Another concept that we need to think about is this idea of a script, which is um, probably not super common among most people when they think about their careers, but this would be a pre-existing plan of action. You know, this is kind of an if-then type of scenario. If this happens, then I'm going to do something about it in terms of my, you know, my commitment towards the organization. I'm going to quit. I'm going to look for a promotion, those kinds of things. So shocks, scripts. And then there's search activities. These are all of those different things that we do when we are looking for and evaluating our career options. So this would involve brushing up your LinkedIn profile. This could be talking to friends and people in your network about opportunities that might be a good fit for you. It could be actually searching for jobs, actually starting to apply for jobs. So that's an important part of this as well. And then the last part is what we call evaluation. And evaluation is about the, the thought process that you go through when you're thinking, okay, well, am I really satisfied here? Um, how committed am I to this organization? Why am I staying here? Is this job or is this organization really a good fit for me? Right? So we have the shock, the script. The search and the evaluation. And these are all components of pretty much in some way or another, um most of our decisions voluntarily to leave an organization. So, you know, you go
1: through these motions almost intuitively and it took a researcher like Thomas Lee to kind of say, okay, let's kind of map these out as a decision tree. So mm-hmm. there's five main pathways that he talks about using these elements that are mixed up and um it's interesting. The first three begin with shock. And then, you know, we'll say the last two start with evaluation. So Ben,
0: let's let's go through a few of these um, for our listeners. Sure. So the first one is relatively simple. And this is where you experience a shock, you have this pre-existing plan of action or a script, and then you leave, right? So maybe you you already are thinking that, hey, if my friend or my mentor leaves and goes to this other firm, you know what, I'm going to leave and I'm going to follow that person to the other firm and uh you know then it happens and then you you make that decision and you go so that's the shock script leave type of scenario uh and um that's not really as common as number two which is you experience some sort of shock something happens in your environment either at work or at home and it causes you to start thinking you know you somewhat maybe let's take that example of a person leaving. Uh, your friend leaves the organization, and then you're like, huh, uh, am I really satisfied here? Um, do I really fit in this organization? Is this the best that I can do? And then you start searching. You're like, all right, I'm going to start testing the waters. I'm going to look for some possible opportunities. Then I maybe get a, an offer, and then I leave the organization. And you know, the research tends to suggest that this is actually the most common uh, path where you have this shock, you start evaluating your situation, you start searching, you get a likely offer, and then you leave. Um, what's a little bit less likely is that you experience that shock, and then you s- just start evaluating, and then you leave before you even have some sort of sort of offer. Um, I guess if it was really bad at the organization, you might do that, right? <laughs> right, but <laughs> not all of us are just like, Rolling in massive
1: amounts of cash, so you know that's kind of the trust fund bail, right? You know, (laughs) I guess I'm going to go hang out with my parents uh, in Malibu. Um.
0: (laughs) Exactly right. Yeah, I'll I'll be I'll be thinking about that when I actually drive through Malibu on Thursday. I'll be out there. Um, Interesting. So it's like, yeah, you you, that's a little bit less common where you just kind of have a shock, you evaluate, you leave. Uh, You may also maybe even don't experience a shock. You just for some reason, start thinking, and this, again, this happens over time, you know, that's why this is called the unfolding model of turnover. Uh, over time, you, you just start evaluating your commitment to the organization, your fit, your satisfaction, then you start searching, then maybe you get a likely offer, and then you leave. So, you don't necessarily have to have that shock um, come up front. And then the last one, which is probably uh, also not as common, this is uh, also probably one of those trust fund situations where maybe you uh, just start thinking about whether or not you like it there and then you leave if you don't. Um, so, you know, most of us don't have those types of options uh, w- with regard to our employment, but maybe if you do uh, you know, you just start thinking, you know what, I don't really like it here. I quit. You yeah. Know? And I see this a lot in
1: kind of end of the work, like cycle executives, mm. you know, maybe, Maybe they flunked retirement once, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or twice. Um, you know, seasoned healthcare exec that comes in and decides to help a struggling organization for a bit. Um, maybe the situation um, with the board of directors or other execs changes. Or, okay, well, it looks like this org's on the right footing now. I'm going to bow out. So, sure, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and this might be, you know, also some people just act rashly. Right. If they experience something at work that they don't like and then they go. But that's probably not the most advisable path um, for most folks. But again, most most people go through the path number two, which is experiencing some sort of shock, evaluating their situation, start searching, start to, you know, maybe get an offer, and then they leave. So that's the unfolding model of turnover, which helps us understand psychologically what's going on with folks when they're making the decision to leave an organization voluntarily. Right. And just like pro tip for people that might not be aware,
1: don't conduct this job search at work. You know, coming out of a technology <laughs> background, you know, we kind of have these things. How often is this guy, you know, crawling in dot com or Glassdoor, that kind of thing?
0: <laughs> right. Right. So probably probably a good idea to keep that something that you do uh, off the network and maybe off your hours as well, right? Yeah, cruise that on your cell phone, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay, so if that's the model, then, you know, it's important for us to think about what are some implications of that model for leaders and for managers and organizations. And I think one of the biggest ones is just understanding that turnover decisions are actually fairly complex. And there are a number of variables both within and outside of the control of the organization. So you're not going to be able to influence every single uh, turnover decision. You still will have good people leave, even if you do all of the retention management strategies that we talked about in our uh, part one of this episode. Um, so you know, keep that in mind. Now, some of those external uh, predictors of turnover, things like the job market, things like the economy, those are pretty important predictors of whether or not people are going to leave yeah the the business cycle
1: plays a big part so right you know when times are good and unemployment is very low people have more openings to kind of navigate the work environment and broader workspace you know making that critical leap from uh manager to director or you know those types of items uh Recruiters are a lot more active in that part of the business cycle. Um, Sure, sure. But when the business cycle is low, everybody braces themselves. Time to hunker down.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Really
1: should be thinking twice about making some job changes um, if you're not a trust funder at
0: that point uh, in the business cycle, right? Right, and that's because our perceptions of our alternatives are very important. If if I don't think that I have alternatives, then you know what? I'm going to stick around, especially if I have people other than me, depending on my income. I will suck it up and I will deal with this crappy job because, you know, it's the best thing I've got right now. Uh, you know, but I think it's also important to think about some implications in terms of reducing voluntary turnover from this unfolding model. And I think one of the bigger ones is trying to anticipate some of the shocks that can happen and having some appropriate and timely responses to them. So, you know, think about, for example, if you are going through a merger or acquisition, that can be a very uncertain, uh, turbulent type of time for any employee going through that that situation because it it automatically, you know, oftentimes makes people think about, well, is my job going to be eliminated? We have, you know, now two HR departments and two accounting functions. <laughs> Do they really need all of them? All that kind of stuff. And so, um, think about those shocks, trying to have some appropriate timely responses. If you are in a job environment like we are right now, where unemployment is very low and, you know, there's a lot of people who are employed, you know, openings are hard to fill, um, executive recruiters are calling, you know, think about, Hey, well, what, what, what should we be thinking about when, um, and what should we tell our people? Like, what if, what if they are contacted by executive recruiters? Right. Um, You know, is that something that we should talk about with folks? Hey, if you are contacted, um, that's fine. That's the way, you know, the world works. Um, Let us know. And, you know, we want, because we we really do want to keep our best people or other types of responses to those situations. Yeah,
1: it's really important. Well, two things. One, it's really important that organizations calibrate themselves and say, are we the way we want to be? So this is a time to look at, you know, we have these aspirational mission statements and value statements and things like that. How are we doing living up to our values? Mm -hmm. And then our processes in HR and manager training and all all of those items that go into why somebody would experience a shock or just start evaluating their options. Are we calibrated to be the organization we want to be? So if somebody does leave we can honestly say there's nothing that we would want to change about ourselves. We are very proud about who we are Mm -hmm. that requires some self-reflection as an organization that I think should be institutional, you know, like maybe twice a year, you're really taking a look at that or maybe you have some kind of assessments um, Mm -hmm. that helps you evaluate that stuff on an ongoing uh, basis. So, if you have that dialed in no matter where you are in the business cycle no matter what's going on you don't have to sweat all of these do we really have a good handle on turnover and what's going on here
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it,
1: the the second item is if you're an individual looking for a job um uh, be aware of the shocks. Like Ben, you were talking about just be thinking about those things. So if you're new entering generation Z or, or something like that, entering the workforce, just know it's all, it's not all unicorns and rainbows out there. Right. (laughs) Um, be aware that people are jerks and that these organizations are made up of imperfect people and have different levels of maturity. That's something you can evaluate with your friends or other people that, um, work in an organization. If you know anybody, hey, how are they doing? Um, Glassdoor.com can help give you a sense of what kind of org to help prep you for those things. Develop some personal resilience on those shocks. And then if you're a senior level executive, stepping into a crucial role. And I just think, I mean, this is different places for different organization. But one of those things is when you go from, say, senior manager to director, I, I can't, you got to be super careful if you're doing that very late in the business cycle. Um, Be aware that you need a couple years in that executive role to solidify your experience as staying at that role. Mm -hmm. But other companies, if you step, so just this is where we talk about job market and economy are important predictors. If, If it's four months before an impending economic crisis, which we never know that, that well. But if it's late in the game, just be really aware of how certain that shift is going to be late in the economic cycle. And will you have enough time to solidify your place in that role?
0: That's really, really well said. And I think just going back to your idea of being resilient, especially if you're early in your career, you know, realizing that there are people who are, you know, no job is perfect. You know, I, I, for example, you know, I I love my professor job, um, but I really don't like grading. Like it's just not very fun. (laughs) There there are, (laughs) I I much prefer being in front of a class and you know, uh, teaching and so forth, as well as uh, doing some research and writing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But you know, there there are parts of every job that are not great, so you need to have a realistic outlook on on the workplace and realize that hey you're gonna have to put up with some stuff as as an employee really at any level uh and so you know don't don't get disheartened when the first bad thing happens to you or you know you experience a, a bad boss or you know even if you're in a role that you really don't like and you have a bad boss if you are in a an organization that is large enough you need to have kind of the i guess the the awareness and the the big picture mindset that, you know what, I may not like this boss. I may not like this part of this organization, but this is a big company and there are a lot of opportunities elsewhere. So maybe you just need to find a mentor and go network a little bit and find those other opportunities. And I think directly back to my experiences, actually in the United States Navy, early on in my career, you know, I had some great experiences. I had some not so great experiences with people, with, with different roles and so forth. And uh, I'm really glad that I stuck it out and have made it into the reserve component and have been able to do stuff um, that I really am a good fit for and really enjoy doing. Um, But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I would have just, you know, called it completely quits at the first sign of not liking things. And I was ready to do that. But I had some people who were like, hey, give this a shot. You know, it's a big Navy and you have a lot to offer, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think that perspective is really good, especially for our early career folks.
1: Yeah, and it's just realize it's a jungle out there. And so, you know, if if you live in a village in the middle of the jungle, you don't get really hacked off that there's tigers and stuff that can eat you out in the jungle. <laughs> right? You're just like, Well, I live in the freaking jungle. There, there's tigers and I know everybody says lion, tigers, and bears, but are there really Bears. I don't think uh, bears really
0: uh, go with that. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I don't, I, maybe, maybe. <laughs> there's a listener out there that knows do bears live in jungles, but, um, so maybe pandas or something, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Anyway, you live in the jungle, right? You're in the corporate jungle. You're in the, uh, work world jungle. There's lions and tigers and bears and stuff out there. So just like the guy in the village, uh, or girl, um, that is out there they don't get mad about it they just accept that as part of the environment so take this knowledge and leverage that for yourself so you can navigate the jungle better you don't right. don't have that you don't have to be emotionally infected by just the garbage that goes on right you you right. can navigate that place well
0: yes yes you can you know another th- implication of this unfolding model for organizations is remembering that you as a, as a manager, and this is something we talked about in part one of this episode, uh, you as a manager do have a, a large influence and can directly influence things like you know people's satisfaction, people's commitment to the organization. Being a great supervisor can positively influence that evaluation phase of the unfolding model. So let's say someone has that shock where a friend leaves or whatever happens and then they, uh, you know, start thinking about their job, you know, if, if they come back and say, well, you know what, this organization is awesome because they really care about me as a person. They really value my contributions. My supervisor helps me, helps me and shows that same type of dignity and respect and so forth. That's That's really going to help. Right. Um, it is very important to think about things like, you know, having adequate pay, um, you know, having a, a good work environment, uh, colleagues and and coworkers who are nice to each other and you know getting in front of some of those issues of incivility and so forth um, so having a good culture and good work environment is important because of that evaluation phase that people go through when they're thinking about leaving
1: right and this this is where if you're an hr professional and i'm always surprised to still see this like here's an example i have a friend of mine that um He's an engineer in D.C. Well, he does a lot of math stuff, but his training was as an engineer. And he was in an organization that hired him um, before he was awarded his Ph.D. So he Mm -hmm. was wrapping up his research. He had to defend, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, they had mentioned that, hey, we pay our Ph.D.'s X. And he said, great. So when I get my Ph.D., um, will I be bumped up in pay? And Mm -hmm. the H.R. people had said, yeah, and so he gets his PhD. He's happy where he's working, and then he sends his email. What do I got to do? And they're like, "Oh, we don't do that." Well, <laughs> well, wait a minute. <laughs> what about these emails? And they're like, "Oh, no, we can't do that. That's you know not our policy." Um, right. Maybe you mis- I know. And so now he's stuck in a place where he can't ever catch up to his peers. Right. So he's got a PhD and that was a shock to say, you know, he talked to his boss who said, yeah, yeah, you're right. So let's talk to HR and then my boss's boss and it totally got thrown down. And so Mm. uh, he had structurally, there was something messed up in this organization that was causing him and I'm sure there's others to just leave. And so, you know, he got out on the job market. He's making like a lot more money elsewhere And, you know, during his retention interview, well, why are you leaving? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How obtuse, right? You know, (laughs) so if, if you're in HR, like you don't know what your lower level managers or maybe even some of, you know, you better know what your own HR staff are doing, right? But there can be these structural elements and you need to evaluate those to make sure that people aren't getting off the bandwagon, For stupid reasons that are completely avoidable.
0: Right, right. That's a good example and and a sad one, right? Um, So that's the uh, unfolding model of turnover. I think we can move now to talk about these ideas of organizational commitment and uh, what we call withdrawal behaviors in organizations.
1: Right. And this this is about what can organizations do to get their arms around the turnover monster Mm -hmm. and and increase commitment to your organization. Um, The hiring, onboarding, retaining, you know, that takes so much organizational time. I really recommend you try to make that be as small of a piece of your time pie as as you can.
0: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. And then also making it something that's very high quality, you want to have a good experience for folks, uh, after you hire them. Uh, You know, and and a couple of things that we can talk about, I think that are important with regard to organizational commitment and withdrawal, before we kind of define those things is, you know, we've talked about in prior episodes, we have talked about this idea of perceived organizational support, which is, you know, a psychological construct, so to speak, that is, and has been, Uh, really well substantiated by decades of research to be this kind of this engine for a lot of these different things around our attitudes and perceptions of the organization. So when we feel like our work organization values our contributions and cares about our well-being, those are the two components, valuing our contributions and caring about our well-being, we are much more likely to reciprocate those positive feelings back to the organization uh, through higher performance and most notably and most relevant to this episode in terms of organizational commitment, which is, you know, an attachment to the organization, a, uh, an intent to remain part of the organization. Uh, because you start to feel like this felt obligation, you know, that, hey, the organization really cares about me. I, I feel obligated to stick around. Um, and so that's a really important thing to consider. And a big part of that is making sure you have um, fair policies and procedures. Uh, You know, in, in the example of your friend who got his PhD and didn't get the pay raise that he expected, that was a complete violation of his sense of fairness. And it's not surprising at all to me that he would then, you know, start to go through this evaluation phase and his organizational commitment would start to rapidly decline. And so having good supervisors, having good policies and procedures that are uh, perceived as fair, as well as you know, having uh, good org- rewards and and job conditions that uh, make people feel like they're valued and supported. Those are that's a really important part of of this whole oh, yeah. piece. Right.
1: Just what because it's so important. This perceived organizational support. That just briefly
0: list those two items again, Ben. Right. So in terms of the predictors of organiz- pre- perceived organizational support, the first one is perceived supervisor support. Right. So if I think my supervisor really values my contributions and cares about my well-being, then I'm likely to attribute that to the organization. So having supportive supervisors, that's number one. Number two is perceptions of fairness, Uh, making sure that uh, your policies and procedures are fair. The way that people are treated uh, is not only objectively fair, but also uh, subjectively fair. People have to believe that it's fair um, in terms of how they're being treated with dignity and respect. And then actually there's a third piece, which is what we call organizational rewards and job conditions. So, you know, making sure that you have, um, you know, adequate pay in place, good benefits in place, having, you know, a decent work environment for for folks, um, all of those things are important as well. And then I want to
1: add this piece. You can't fake this stuff. And I I say this all the time, you know, if, if you are, an exec or like uh, part of the organization that's in charge of these kinds of things, maybe corporate training, HR, whatever. If you're like, what is the minimum I can <laughs> do to make these people feel like I give a rip? Yeah. That's your red flag that you need to go, I don't know, on a yoga retreat and think about stuff because <laughs> you're just on the wrong side of the equation, man. You know? Right. Yeah. Places I, where we see, you know, favoritism. I hired mm-hmm. my cronies, you know? Oh my God. Um, all All of these kinds of ideas, um, you just, these are the things that cause organizations to be so mad, I mean, just to be garbage. You know, when you say massively sub-optimized or some, you know, consultant yeah. speak, but you <laughs> stink if you're trying to fake this stuff. And that's, that's a personal quest you got to go through as an individual and as an exec. And there, you know, there could be stuff like, there's sociopaths right out in the workplace. That's one of the tigers that you see Um, Mm -hmm. being able to evaluate for some of that and looking for those kinds of behavior. You know, if you're a head of HR and you're empowered, you got to raise the red flag for those things because perceived organizational support is like one of the daggone pillars for being a place that's worth working at.
0: Right. It really is. It really is. And uh, you know, you might be able to trick people for a very short period of time, you know, it's like, Oh, well we, uh, you know, we're going to institute, um, you know, casual Fridays and free beer in the, the fridge or whatever, and stuff like that. And think that people are going to feel like they're cared about. Um, maybe that'll work for a, a week or a month or something, but if you are still treating people like, like, you know, as a jerk, if you're, um, you know, have these policies and procedures in place that show favoritism, it's just not going to cut it it's just not and like you said this comes back to uh some of these big questions about how you as a leader are going to live your life do you want to be a person who has integrity and values that support these types of things or not and you know what um there are plenty of people who actually do you know okay and can fake it and you know be a train wreck in an organization make some decent money and then leave but I, for me, you know, they, I always think about the, just the, the wake of destruction interpersonally and organizationally that these people leave, um, as well as, you know, what do you really want when you're old and you're looking back and, you know, thinking like, what are people saying about me? How do they remember me? I, it's just fairly unpleasant to think about the fact that, you know, I don't really want people thinking, oh, well, that person was a jerk and, um, was super selfish to the end. Like that's, uh, maybe that's just me, but I think uh that's something that leaders need to be thinking about when they are structuring their organizations, when they're deciding how they're going to operate
1: right and and you see some of this from kind of the the you know the cutthroat organizations, the old Jack Welsh approach of you know the bottom two percent out or or whatever mm-hmm. um if your organization's set up for um kill or be killed people are going to come up a certain way and that's going to self-select certain types of managers that are going to behave in certain ways. And then, you know, you've just created this really garbage kind of culture that just becomes cutthroat, right? And, and those kinds of things. So won't get totally deep into that, but if you need to curate the kind of culture you want and perceived organizational support will not support certain uh, cultures.
0: Right, right. So we talked about this other idea of job embeddedness um, in our prior episode in in part one. So I won't delve into it too deeply. But, you know, it's important to remember that people are not only part of your organization, but they're also embedded in a larger community. And to the degree that you can support people in that endeavor, uh, the more they're going to be likely to at least stay in that geographical area. So that's another thing to consider. Uh, but now I think we can turn our attention to these ideas of organizational commitment. We've mentioned this a couple of times in this episode already, but just the general definition of organizational commitment is that this is about a person's intent to remain part of the organization. Um, and whether, you know, so if you're very low in organizational commitment, then that probably means you're. Starting to engage in some search behaviors, you're looking for other jobs and so forth. So it's your intention to remain part of the organization. But there are three types of organizational commitments uh, that we generally think about. And these have important distinctions among them. Uh, So the first one is what we call affective uh, organizational commitment. And affective organizational commitment has to do with how people feel, right? How they uh, emotionally respond to the organization. And uh, if you have a high level of affective organizational commitment, this means that you remain part of the organization because you want to, right? Because you want to. Uh, That's different from normative organizational commitment, which is I stay part of the organization because I ought to, because I feel obligated to be here. If I leave, the organization's going to fall apart. I don't really want to be here, but I feel like I, I have to be here. I ought to be here. And then continuance commitment is I am still part of this organization because I have to. Right? It's not that I feel like I ought to. It's just that I have to because I either, one, perceive that I have few alternatives elsewhere, or number two, there's going to be a huge sacrifice in leaving the organization. You know, this is maybe, maybe you have some sort of awesome retirement plan or some sort of golden handcuffs that are keeping you part of that organization. Uh, You feel like you have to stick around. Uh, That's continuance commitment. Yeah, so, you
1: signed a 10-year army contract and three years, and <laughs> you decide you want to be a Broadway star or something right. like that, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that's probably not going to work too well, but uh, um, that would be continuance commitment. So, affective, you want to be there. Normative, you feel like you ought to be there. And continuance, you feel like you have to be there. Now, out of those, Chris, which ones do you think um, you would want your people to have, uh if you're a leader as a manager. Well, you know,
1: obviously you want, you know, the effective, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, similar to the word affection, if if you need help remembering it. But mm-hmm. um yeah, you, you want that. And so you you gotta ask yourself, am I generating that place that people love and want
0: to be at? Right, right. Exactly. So we want to generate that type of of loyalty, that type of commitment to the organization. And there are some things that we can actually watch out for, that can help us give an give an indication to, to the idea that people maybe are kind of low in their commitment. Uh, and these are things that we call withdrawal behaviors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it, it's not like withdrawal, like uh, you're so addicted to your job when you're not there, you feel, you know, withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> no, no, not at all.
0: Not at all. These are things that people do To avoid the work situation. Um, You know, these are either psychological or actual physical things they do to avoid uh, either thinking about or being at work. And, you know, the ultimate kind of culmination of this is quitting the organization. It's that voluntary turnover piece. So, a way to think about this is that when withdrawal behaviors are high, when people are doing a lot of these things that we're going to talk about, then organizational commitment is typically. Low And vice versa, when organizational commitment is high, people tend to have fewer of these withdrawal behaviors. Right. So let's just let's
1: talk about them. I mean, these are situations where and it's not necessarily the company's bad all the time. You know, it just may be a bad fit for you. Right. But Mm -hmm. an individual's psyche will start to do stuff to cope with the environment that they're in and you know Mm -hmm. one of the first ones daydreaming
0: right right so this is that the first big bucket is psychological withdrawal and uh yeah so you can daydream you know uh and you know i always think back we already referenced the the movie office space in part one of this episode so we have to do it in part two as well (laughs) but this is where you know they ask this one guy they say you know describe your typical day and he says you know i usually show up late i come in the back door so my boss can't see me and i get to my desk and then i i just kind of space out for a while and you know the consultants who are asking this question are like all confused, like space out. He's like, yeah, you know, it looks like I'm working, but I'm, I'm just kind of staring at my screen. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because it's true. You know, when we are, uh, not feeling committed to our organization, sometimes we will maybe kind of just sit there and think about other stuff and just, you know, really start to psychologically detach ourselves from that organization, start to withdraw And, you know, think about other stuff uh, that we possibly could be doing, maybe thinking about, you know, other possible jobs, who knows, right? But daydreaming is part of this psychological withdrawal.
1: You know, I was at this one, it was my first cubicle farm job. And I, you know, early in my career, I'm just individual contributor. And I remember just, you know, I hate lawn care, right? (laughs) I, I mean... Especially, you know, I'm living in t- Nashville, Tennessee at the time. And in the summers, it is just hot and That's humid, brutal. right? So, but I remember sitting in this cubicle farm and everything's sterile. And I'm looking at the guys doing the lawn and I was like, you know, it'd be great if maybe two days a week, <laughs> I, I'd rather be cutting lawn with these guys. <laughs> you know, I bet you they don't have to report to anybody. They just, you know, put on their headphones and mow the lawn, That's you know? Right. So yeah, definitely de- you know it's bad if I'm dreaming about
0: doing lawn care, right? <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> that's true. So hope, hopefully during this podcast, you're not dreaming about mowing the grass. Um, you know, the, another one is socializing. And, you know, this isn't a bad thing necessarily. You know, people just like <laughs> talking to each other and so forth. But it can be a form of withdrawal from the organization because it's like, I don't really want to work. So I'm going to just kind of poke my head over to the other cube and like talk to this person. I had a uh, a coworker once, who would always stop by my office and uh, discuss various medical issues that she was having, having, and um, you know, as a form of socializing? But it was actually kind of, kind of gross and uh, and, and annoying to me because I was not withdrawn from my job. I was trying to do my job, and I didn't really want to hear about her tooth abscess. <laughs> oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, that, that's like. Yeah, don't talk about tooth abscesses. At <laughs> per, at
0: pro tip: there, <laughs> there you go. Career tip: uh, so socializing at work that that can be a form of psychological withdrawal because you don't want to pay attention to what you're doing uh, in terms of your job. You're actually trying to just you know talk to folks about what's going on. I'm not saying here that you shouldn't be friendly to people. Like, go ahead and do that, but this can be a, an indicator that people are withdrawing a little bit psychologically. Another one is looking busy. Uh, you know, and in, in certain jobs, it's. It's fairly easy to do this. Um, I remember having some jobs where I I became a master of this. Actually, where I if I just walked quickly and and had a uh, you know uh, something that I could write upon in my hands, I mean I, I would get assigned less work. People would um, think that I was a, a go getter, but I was just actually kind of walking quickly and getting a little exercise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this, this <laughs> happens in orgs and and like. Companies need to be aware of this, and and lots of times they don't care. If you're not in a super lean, hyper-competitive environment, that there's a lot of this kind of, you know, I've seen it. I had a young person who entered the workplace, and I'm like, these people literally talk two to three hours a day. So they've got mm-hmm. the socializing thing. And then the rest of the time, they're on Facebook or some kind of garbage, right? Right, right. And maybe they do an hour, hour and a half why can I never find these jobs? I mean, because I'd hate them, but, you know, right. they do an hour, hour and a half of real work. And so, one, there's a structural problem that your management doesn't know what's going on. You mm-hmm. know, they're asleep at the mm-hmm. will, but they may be socializing and looking busy themselves.
0: Very true. And you just mentioned, you know, poking around at Facebook while you're at work. That's that actually falls in a category of something that we call cyber loafing. So this is the idea that you know, <laughs> I just love that word. Come on. <laughs> I do too. I do. It's one of my favorites. So, uh, you know, this is, Hey, I should be working on this spreadsheet or, you know, responding to these emails or whatever but actually I'm going to shop for shoes, you know, or my fantasy football league needs attention. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So that's cyber loafing. Uh, and another one that we could consider psychological withdrawal, and maybe in some ways it could be a little bit of physical withdrawal, but this would be moonlighting. So this is, you know, doing other work for, you know, working on your freelance business or whatever while you're at the other job. And, um, you know, most organizations have some sort of policy about these things, uh, and it's, it's okay usually if it's not interfering with your work. But if it is, then that is definitely a form of withdrawal. And you could even consider, you know, if, if someone is doing more and more of that, even in off work hours, that may not be a, a violation of policy, but it is a sign that the person perhaps is psychologically withdrawn somewhat from the organization. And these are things that you, you know, these psychological withdrawal um, facets, these elements, are things that you may or may not be able to notice as a manager. You know, I can't really know necessarily if I'm looking at someone, if they're, um, you know, if, especially if I'm not paying attention for a long time, I may not know that they're d- daydreaming, right? Um, now, if I, I could probably know if they're cyber loafing, if they're doing other stuff. Um, but uh, some of these you maybe will notice, some you may not. But they are all parts of this kind of withdrawal from the organization to some degree.
1: Yeah. And so if you're seeing people, you know, clicking around, you see a lot of socializing and stuff. I, my preferred recommendation for executives that I'm coaching is, yeah, don't go, hey, quit, you know, shooting, chewing the fat, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. for three hours a day, you need to say, what can I do and change about this person's work environment or how we operate as a team or the kind of vision that I'm catching to actually bring the engagement around. Um, I don't see a lot of success directly confronting the behavior um, at, unless
0: you've tried that first part, right? Right, right. And that's kind of a, a compliance versus engagement model. You know, what you described in terms of directly, hey, stop clicking around on Facebook, that is more of a compliance model, right? Um, the engagement model would be more around, I want to make work so engaging and attractive that they're not even thinking about all this other stuff. Uh, I want, you know, to create a work environment that is really um, a high performance one versus something that's just boring.
1: Right. Or if it is boring, you're, you know, cause some jobs just are, you just True. have some stuff you got to do. There's different things you can do, but um, I definitely commitment is what you want rather than compliance. So let's talk. So those are psychological factors. Now they're actual physical factors. Now these, these are things you can, actually notice more
0: easily than the psychological withdrawal symptoms for sure for sure so one of them is tardiness just showing up late you know happens once okay but if it starts to become a trend that could be an indicator of uh, physical withdrawal from the organization Uh, you know one that I notice sometimes is the, the long breaks, you know, when the, <laughs> when the, that, <laughs> the, 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 lunch hour turns into the lunch two hours and, you know, or someone, uh, you know, takes a lot of time doing whatever it could be, you know, it's not as common anymore, but it could be smoking or whatever types of break people are taking. Um, you know, if they're doing that for a very long period of time that is physical withdrawal. Right. So you have your morning coffee hour,
1: your lunch <laughs> 2 hours and then your afternoon coffee hour yeah
0: <laughs> yes. so basically your that's like half the day right um, perfect right exactly so another one could be missing meetings uh you know um i'm reminded of office space again where he says you know looks like you've been missing a lot of work lately i wouldn't say i've been missing them bob right <laughs> 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 but uh, you know so people may be skipping meetings uh they may not coming into work, right? So absenteeism. And this all leads up to the ultimate form of physical withdrawal, which is quitting their job. Right. And if your meetings are garbage, people should miss them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got to fix those things, right? Right, right. Imagine how many meetings would get fixed uh, if, you know, people, there was like a cultural norm where people would come into a meeting and if it didn't start going well in the first five minutes, they would just all stand up and walk out.
1: Oh, that'd be man. that'd
0: be that'd be interesting, right? <laughs> be awesome. Yeah, it would. It would. Awesome. Cool. So, we've talked about uh these, you know, what these different types of commitment. You really want affective organizational commitment where people want to be part of the organization. Uh some of these different withdrawal behaviors that you can look out for, particularly looking out for those physical ones because the psychological ones are a little bit tougher to notice um, you know, without being super intrusive. Uh, but we're looking out for those physical withdrawal behaviors because those could be indicators and likely are indicators of low organizational commitment.
1: Yeah, so Ben, let's let's um, wrap up. So, you know, and th- let's talk about part one and two because this is a two-part series. So it is. in part one, we talked about turnover retention and exactly what the research says. Right. Um, we talked about retention management. You know, what are some evidence-based guidelines? And then today we talked about
0: The unfolding model of turnover to help us understand that psychological process that people go through when they're thinking about leaving an organization and some things, some implications of that model for how leaders and managers and organizations can intervene and maybe influence those decisions uh, in a positive direction. And then we talked about these ideas of organizational commitment and withdrawal behaviors from the organization. Right. You've
1: got to curate these things as, you know, structurally from the top down Um, to make sure that you're curating a organization that's worthy of organizational commitment and use those withdrawal signs as kind of a, it's actually a late indicator. If you're starting to see Mm -hmm. withdrawal signs, you've failed way, 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 way up the chain, you know, structurally the training of your managers and those things. So uh, those are late indicators, but if you're RC in them, Let that be your uh, warning sign to say, I need to do some reflection and change things here within the organization.
0: That's absolutely correct. Okay, so I think that wraps up this part two of why people quit and how to keep them. If you didn't check out the part one of this episode, please do that. And I hope that together, part one and part two, uh, you know, have given some good evidence and some ideas for folks to really do exactly that. Keep the good people in your organization and understand why people quit. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.